Welcome to Generative Leaders, a series of conversations with leaders generating positive outcomes for society, the planet and future generations to inspire, challenge and have fun with what's universally true of the human mind. I'm your host, Julia Repholtz, and this week to help me, I'm in conversation with Julieta and Dara. Julieta and Dara, I am so, so happy to be here with you today. I'm absolutely inspired by the work that you're doing at SAP. And it would be great if you could talk a little bit about what you're leading and what you're doing. Well, the same for us. Thank you so much, Julia. And it's just um, a huge honor to to be here with you and uh, learning so much from you and with you since you've been accompanying us in this process of us creating this program for leaders at SAP. And it's just been an incredible ride with you um, because you've been just really being so insightful and triggered so many great thoughts in, in myself and in Dara as well. Oh, well, I'm, I'm just so honored to be on this journey with you. People listening are going to be like, this is a mutual loving and they would be absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you come to going look, we need to make our leaders in SAP more more generative um, and, and thinking about these sort of wider wider pieces. So, so we, um, we're looking for how people change because the technology industry is really at the centre of change. At least we think we are. <laughs> you know, it's a, every industry is changing, but there's a lot of kind of, the change in the world is enabled by technology and a lot of the leaders in the company have to be able to deal with change. So the program we lead is called Mastering Change, Leading at a Deeper Level. Because when we looked at how change management and, and change leadership training is generally done, it's a lot of heart or a lot of head, but it doesn't really touch hearts and souls. Right. So you have like a Cotter's models of change. You've got William Bridges transition model. There's all these models out there, but yet people don't really seem to change in the way organizations want them to change because they're free to make their own decisions. So when we came across um, Insight Principles a number of years ago, I could see for myself, wow, I, I really thought I understood <laughs> what, what was been said. But then when I started to look at how I was thinking about things, I was very, I had frameworks, but I couldn't do things in the world or I couldn't be the person I wanted to be necessarily. And uh, because I didn't understand how my own experience was created or how my experience was working. So when I, that started to change, it kind of became like, a bit of an infection. Myself and Julieta didn't start talking about it because she's braver than I am <laughs> in many ways. And, and, and she was like, let's try and do something with this. You know, like, let's try and bring this understanding of how, how we change and how people change and how the principles behind these change actually helps people because we, we live in a world that's changing and our leaders have to deal with it. So first and foremost, I need to correct you. I think we're both a great complementary uh, couple, power couple, so to say, yeah, in that task. Um, yeah, maybe my courage was was something that 
through my own personal experience that I had after I got exposed to the three principles that led me to be that courageous and just try it out because Dara was the one actually to introduce me into that world of magic, of insight, of wisdom. Yeah, and it just gave me this incredible, uh, let's say, confidence to say, hey, we should try this for a three-day retreat. Why not? So the moment was was not only right, but mental well-being became such a urgent topic for for people within SAP, not only within our company, but worldwide. So I believe that the momentum we had also gave us the room to to be courageous, to to try things out, to play with that, to be playful with it, and to to see what leadership actually needs. So we basically give them the room to just be instead of do. And we we make them aware of that. And that's where the magic happens. And we've seen a lot of people coming back to us saying that it changed their lives. They became much more happier. They became much more relaxed, much more resilient to whatever is happening to them. And Let's see how we want to measure that. But we're seeing a lot of people buying into that, and it's becoming a contagious thing right now. So people are hearing from it. We are starting to have overbooked courses, wait lists, because we make it something very exclusive, something that if you if you're because it's not for everybody, right? And people feel compelled and they hear it from another colleague, even team leaders have offered their team members to take part in that. And that's going, showing a, an interesting dynamic, how they're collaborating as a team. So yeah, it's an interesting journey and it's just um, a lot of fun doing that with Dara. Well, I, I know you guys have a, have a lot of, a lot of fun um, in the work that you do together, which is, is, is fantastic. Um, Cause that's missing in a lot of corporate um, organizations. And this podcast is all about generative leadership. Um, and I know that the, the program that you've put together for your leaders is, you know, has that really at the, at the center, at the core of, of what you're doing. So I'd love to hear in, in your words, you know, what is, what is a generative leader to you? I was thinking about this and I was trying to find synonyms for generative, but I think before the definition of the word generative, there's a kind of a, a perspective on where the power lies within human beings. And a generative leader to me is somebody who can generate or who can create. So they have this sense of, yes, there's all these circumstances. You know, there's macroeconomic indicators. There's currency trading in the UK. <laughs> you know, there's a... There's a lot of factors, you know, there's there's the war um, between Ukraine or Russia and Ukraine. There's that, you know, there's supply chain problems. There's always problems. And generative leaders are not the ones who passively react. They, 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 they respond in intelligent and wise ways. And they have a perspective that we can create a better culture, a better environment, better outcomes, 
and we should and not alone it's not that i i as a generative leader should do it alone is that the power is in me but it's also in you and it's also in the other people here and if we want to have a culture that is really inclusive that's really values different ideas that really creates better outcomes and and better ways of going about things then we can and that possibility is very hopeful for people you know a lot of people can believe in positive thinking but that kind of runs up against things it's like a, and 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 you know a crisis can bring you down but if you truly understand where the power to change lies or the power to create lies then it doesn't really matter about the circumstances i see actually everybody as a leader everybody in a company has a leading role and um, could bring out their best by by having these three dimensions at, at heart so having in mind that this heart matter like being in with your heart being invested with your heart is something that we have probably not seen over the last couple of years because we were all busy as leaders trying to fulfill our KPIs, uh, fill, fulfill our budgets, make sure that we, we get everything done and get it done fast. So I thought of, about a metaphor for, for generative leadership, and I think it's more along the lines of not even being a dance instructor, but you know, being a dance coach that has his or her dancers and you wouldn't show and you wouldn't tell them now you move your right feet to the left two times and then you, you know, fall with your left foot and then you make sure that. So you wouldn't explain that. You would showcase it. So you would make them have a feeling for how this movement looks like. And then you would have them do the movement and have them get a feeling for that. And that's where I kind of went back to the point that it is all about this human experience about that emotion that you have while you're having this movement and not about teaching it. And that's where this metaphor just is, is just incredibly helpful for me to see how, how easy it actually could be because we tend to think that it's so hard to just lead with a heart because we, you know, those dancers that try to dance, but they feel all stocky and it's just, they wouldn't have those moves and flows. Well, maybe because they're not there yet. Right? Maybe because you didn't show them the moment, they don't dare to look inside themselves and have that feeling. And I saw some of our leaders or dancers who might have been a little, you know, not able to, to move, right? Maybe because they felt ashamed or they felt fear. They somehow, after the three days, they, their movements looked smoother. <laughs> so it sounds like from, from what you're saying that, um, you know, what the program is, is really sort of helping leaders to tackle is that there's always going to be lots of circumstances that they're going to have to deal with um you know the macroeconomic situation the war things in their personal lives issues with their teams but having that resilience having that ability to be free from the circumstances and be able to create and see what to do and see what makes sense and see how to dance that rhythm that is needed in that moment allows them to 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 have that freedom and and, and there's a kind of a self-consciousness 
aspect to it, right? Because uh, when we dance, we kind of feel like everybody's looking at us and judging us. But we also feel that in ourselves, you, you, you might, we might be thinking, God, I'm, I'm terrible. Like, you know, I have, <laughs> I've got three left feet. I don't just have two. So, so we feel self-conscious and, and that self-consciousness brings with it a lot of thinking. How am I doing? How do my people like me? You know, am, am I, do my bosses rate me? Does, do, am I, am I, if I miss this number by 3%, so we have so much thinking about it that it's not thinking about the thing. It's thinking about me with the thing. <laughs> it's thinking about me in the dance and not the dance. And the dance is where the work gets done and where everything gets created. We have had leaders share stories like, a, you know, an email goes in where somebody escalates to somebody above their head. And in the past, they would have had a huge amount of worry about that. And not only that, but they'd be really mad. They'd be like, I'm going to, like, I'm, I'm, this is going, I'm going to go to war here. They want to go to war. I'm going to go to war. So they, then one meet, one email would generate 10 other emails, which would then generate three or four meetings all in a bad mood. And then it would summarize in a big fight where, they, where everybody's having a bad mood. And it's all about somebody's ego or their nose been out of joint. So we, 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 we kind of sometimes play that the term ego is insecure thinking taken seriously is the way we look at it. And it is a generative leader doesn't have a pass on having an ego like none of us do. We're all going to feel that self-consciousness in the dance. But we see that the dance is more important than ourselves in the situation. So the leader who shared that story said they decided, I'm just not going to go there on the fight. Like I could go there and I can see that it's going to cost me and a load of other people hours and hours of time. But if I just send one email and then go back and talk to my customers and go back and work with my team on the dance, it's still going to be broadly the same result, but I'm going to have saved myself so much pressure and I'm also not carrying that feeling into the conversations and from a business perspective then they see the value of that state of being because they have perspective they have the resilience they're not reacting to outside forces as much and they can see options where they they wouldn't before so they start to share about you know going in and really listening to customers as opposed to going in with a case prepared for the cross-examination, <laughs> you know, is a, and, and that that frees up so much mental space, that, that, that the seeing of how their thinking is working, that, you know, I don't have to spend two days preparing cross-examination on a court case when I go into a customer. I can do some preparation, but really I can show up and listen at a level I never could before. And then instead of having four meetings because we didn't hear them the first time around, we really hear them the first time around and it becomes obvious what we can do. So they, they see, they start to connect the this way of being or way of seeing or understanding that they have to what it allows them to do from a business perspective. 
how it allows them to create a culture in every conversation that they have, whether that's with their customer or with their their boss, whether it's with people they've had a fallen out with, and the meetings just become a lot fewer and are more productive. You know, people summarize it sometimes going, it's, I get more work done, but I care less, paradoxically. And, and and how does that work? And and what they're caring less about is they're not taking things as personally. They're in the dance. They're not in, they're thinking about the dance, you know. And, 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 and when they're dancing, they dance with a lot more elegance and ease than uh, when they're really trying to dance, you know, there's a difference. So, you know, you've talked about generative leaders, you've talked about some of the outcomes that you're that you're having, but what I really want to get into, what I really want to hear about is what are some of the insights that you had personally that, you know, you talked about at the beginning that you, you had some some revelations about how change works, how the human experience works for yourselves that then made you go, hang on a minute. If we put this at the foundation of everything that we do, we're going to get way better results for the business. So what was the insight or the moment or, you know, that that you can personally share that kind of had that happen for you? Yeah, for me, it was a very deep experience that I had um, on a personal uh, basis, having had to go through cancer twice um, and had having had this comparison from the first diagnosis and the second diagnosis where I, and I journaled, I journaled after my first diagnosis and, and I, I just went through it last week indeed. And I, I just looked what I wrote at that time and I just, was flabbergasted by my wisdom. And I, I just wrote down, fear is going to be your enemy. Don't fight cancer. It's part of you. Deal with it. Find productive ways of dealing with it. So these were my little mantras that I had before I was even exposed to that idea of how mind consciousness and thought play with each other. And for the second time is where I really saw it after Dara had given me an intro into that. I still was struggling with it, with the idea that, yes, the outside world surely has a part in what I think, for sure. So I didn't believe that yet, 100%. I kind of bought into it, and I said, let's play around with that. So I just remember sitting in that doctor's office, knowing already after the biopsy that this is not going to be good news. And I felt the fear. I felt the fear. I felt all that that I was not a fan of after the first diagnosis when where I talked to myself, the, the own dialogue was sounding more along the lines of you can't be afraid now, um, which made it even worse. And I was starting to really hyperventilate and all I wanted was to run outside. And then, and I was re- I was just reading Invisible Power at that moment. So I thought, just get some distraction, read Invisible Power. So I started reading it. And there's this one part um, about this lady that forgave the murder of her son so that kind of was in my mind i was like how could she forget I mean, if it was my son it's easy to say but i mean how can you um and then it went into the part of how thoughts really created a reality that must not be real and that was the moment where i realized for myself in all that fear that this is not reality 
and this is not going to be productive for me right now. Yes, I can run outside, I can cry, I can yell, I can, I can just, you know, deprive myself from talking to a doctor, but ultimately this is not going to lead to a goal. And so one thought away, I, found, I, I really found this calmness, I found this calm surrender that helped me to deal with that situation in a more productive way. I'm not saying that I felt grand while having uh, received that diagnosis, but even the doctor approached me and said, you're incredibly brave for what I'm just telling you. And I said, well, you know, inside of me, there is a, a real disco going on. <laughs> but I knew I had to, I knew I had to be calm now. I, I just felt right to do that. And just through this near realization that my thinking was creating an experience that wasn't conductive for me in that moment, in that specific moment. I yelled in my car after that, I cried, I, I phoned my mom, and yes. But even throughout the entire therapeutic treatments and all the other bad news that came after that, it always helped me to get back my feet on the ground by just realizing that my thoughts were just creating something that is potentially not really real. So and this is where I understood for myself, so if I can deal with that in that situation, why cannot people around me deal with that, right? And how can that not be helpful for them? If that is so helpful for me in a critical situation, this might, and then I had this mom in, in my head who lost her son to a murderer and she's capable of forgiving a murderer. I thought, wow, okay, so there must be more to it. So Julietta, I've got to stop you there because we got to unpack what you just said because that was incredibly deep incredibly powerful and you just kind of skimmed over it like it was nothing <laughs> so take me back to that to that moment where you know you you said you were sitting in the doctor's office and you felt fear creeping up your body and you noticed it and you said your first instinct was to just try and talk yourself out of it? Was that? Exactly. Yeah. It's the uh, habitual, Julietta is a strong woman. She's capable of dealing with everything. Ah, that's the second diagnosis. Come on, Julietta. You've dealt with that before. You're a strong girl. You're still, it wouldn't help. So it would become worse. So you, so you were, you know, you were having that internal dialogue, you know, and I'm sure lots of people can relate um, of, you know, obviously not being in the situation that, that you were in, but in similar situations where, you know, you've got this one thing going, oh, my God, this is really terrible. It's awful. This situation is, you know, horrendous. And then the other voice that comes in that says, no, 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 you can deal with this. You'll be fine. It's going to be OK. And it's almost like, would you say it's almost like a battle going on inside you? It didn't feel like that in that moment. Retrospect, yes. But in that moment, it rather felt, and I, it surprised me very much that it just like a light bulb moment. It just came to me. This is not conductive. Yeah. So, you, so it was like, so you had, you know, this fight was kind of going on and you started to hyperventilate. And then you just had this moment of absolute serenity and this, this like light bulb coming on going, this is all thought. 
this is happening in my head. And what was that like for you when you, when you, when you had that moment of realization? It felt like in the, being the eye of the hurricane, like this incredible silence in there, knowing that even inside of me, cows, cars, everything was flying around. I had this, this little cocoon that I could find myself in and that held me for a good time. And, and I'm, I'm, I was really happy to, to know that there was this safe place. And it felt, it just felt like a, like a safe place, not even like a relief, more like a, okay, this is where I can think clear. This is where I can be a little bit more analytical about it, less emotional or whatever you want to call it. Hurricane shelter wouldn't have been the same thing because it would, would be separating me from that. And it still was. So it was this hurricane inside of me, which gave me that peace and quiet to deal with it. It doesn't mean that I didn't fall back into depression or panic attacks or whatever it was, but it just gave me a more healthy approach in dealing with that. And that's available to anyone, right? In any moment. And we're hearing this from participants because we're also sharing that and we're, we're going down that deep level as well. And we've had participants just, you know, throwing their faces into their hands going, once they realized that I was driving myself crazy for the last 20 years, they, they, they realized that for themselves in that moment. And this is where it was one of our first sessions. It's funny, you know, um, because it's kind of like the straight man and the comedy sidekick (laughs) or the straight woman and the comedy sidekick. So I haven't got the same story as Julieta, but like I had a situation where I forgot to renew the health insurance for my kids. I thought I had done it, but I hadn't done it. And I got really mad. And I put a, a, a ticket into the ticketing system to say reinstated. Like, and I was pure panic. I was just terrified. And then the person at the other end of the, the ticketing system rang me and told me my tone was completely inappropriate. And I was like, shit, they're right. They're right. Like, I created the whole thing in my head. And that, like, that, that happened around the same time. So I was like... I apologize. I'm really sorry. And I saw that I was scaring myself. And then, and I've seen so many times where I've been doing that, you know, like uh, I had this idea of what being a good coach would be. So I had like, you know, I would have the, um, the reading of nonverbal signals like Milton Erickson. I'd have the coaching skills of, you know, and I had created this image in my head and I was miserable coaching people. I came out going, God, geez, I'm so bad. Like, I'm terrible. I, I don't. And, and people would be fine. They'd have been like, wow, that was really helpful. <laughs> you know? so, I, 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 so I've had a lot of small realizations, but what we try and point to is that the capacity to realize is, is in everybody. And the capacity to create these realities is in everybody going into situations. You know, I would have to do training programs for like all sorts of different companies when I was a management consultant and I would go in on the inside. I was terrified. I was so sure I was going to be found out as an imposter. So I made sure I had every bit of information that I could possibly get 
And if people came out with a book, I'd go, oh, yeah, it's not as good as their second book, you know. And I, I didn't realize that I was scared. I didn't realize that this librarian character, which became very comfortable for me as a way of defending myself, was just a habit of thinking. And I didn't know that it was that I was doing it. I didn't realize that I was doing it. You know, I didn't see that it was thinking. I thought this was who I am and this is how I need to be. So I've had loads of realizations, little small ones like this, which all kind of wake me up to, no, that's just your thinking, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, that's not who you are. You are not the thinking that you have. And, and, and that it's, you're actually okay. You're actually quite, quite likable as a person when you're not doing that. And I didn't know that I was allowed to be, <laughs> you know, <laughs> likable just as a normal person. You know, I thought I had to have these kind of extraordinarily qualifications. So I, I would describe it as actually I've been above average probably in knowing things, you know, because I have three master's degrees but far below average when it comes to realizing that the only reason I have those three was to try and defend myself against the fear I was feeling about looking stupid or not fitting in or not being able to earn money or not being able to pay my mortgage. And, and, and actually life is far more pleasant when I see what my thinking is doing in the moment. And even when Juliet and I were talking, I was sharing what I knew intellectually. And she found it really helpful because she realized it at a level that I didn't realize it at, you know? And then that kind of made me go, shit, maybe there, there's even more here than I thought. So then I started to realize things again. So it's not that there's, we ever get there, right? It's that, it's that we, once you see, it's always going on. You know, I don't have a pass. Nobody has a pass. But then everybody has a pass because this space of seeing, this capacity to realize this, the feeling of, God, I'm so stupid, is so real, is so relieving. You know, <laughs> it's like, in what way am I being stupid today? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what thinking am I taking seriously today and making myself stupid with? And, 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 and I see more and more that I keep doing it, but that it's okay. And, and, and when people can see that it's not just when you're in crisis mode or a serious point of life, it's the, the email from your boss. But I'm, I've made peace with the, re, the fact that realizing it has so much value and so much capacity for a happier life is released and so much capacity for being in the moment with people and for being really listening and being genuinely curious and then out of that listening and curiosity comes so much generativeness so much creativity so much oh wow you mean I can just be me and we can just talk and we can share ideas without having to take them too seriously and see what comes well, wow, that that sounds good to me, <laughs> and people people enjoy that. No, exactly, Darren, and you, you know you you put it so so elegantly that this design of our mind is the same for everyone, and um, you know we didn't choose it. 
and we didn't get anything different from anybody else. You know, that the, the design is, is the same for every single human being. And, and it's seeing the truth of that. You know, we're all creating a movie in our heads in every moment. And, you know, there's, there's three of us having this conversation right now. And we're all creating different movies. And, and believing that our movie is right. Exactly. <laughs> and believing that our movie is right. And, and just seeing the truth of that. Just seeing that that's what's going on. And, you know, we can take it really seriously or we can have fun with it. <laughs> and, and, and that's the, uh, I'd say that this is an area that we're growing with a little, you know, because part of starting the program off was, at least for me, I was taking myself very seriously as somebody who knew, <laughs> you know, and I have to, I had so much pressure on to kind of, I have to, we have to get this across, right? Oh yeah, no, no, we have to do this. We have to get this across. We have to get this across. And now I can see that it's like back to the definition of ego again, as insecure thinking taken seriously. Me, 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 me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then to see that it's not, the me, 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 me thing. It's Julietta's dance coach metaphor is to just be in the dance and to see what the dance is producing, you know, and to enjoy it and to have fun with it and to, you know, have a laugh about it, you know, because there's so much, there's so much weight in the outside world now, you know, like everywhere you look, there's the opportunity to be depressed and hopeless. <laughs> You know, the, the the opportunity to create that movie is infinite, but also the opportunity to create a generative movie or a, a better culture or one that caters for all life on the planet, for bringing human beings together without all this, you know, uh, the ways that we, we judge each other, the ways we separate each from, from each other. Awareness is already there. You can't become more aware. You just realize you're not aware, you know, or you realize that this amazing gift to be aware of things, you can shrink it down and just look at like adding a line on a, an Excel spreadsheet for for a meeting. And that can become the whole world. And you can spend your whole career just looking at one at line after line on an Excel spreadsheet, or you can get your head up into generating something amazing or even one conversation at a time, having a, a fun conversation, curious conversation, listening conversation, creative conversation, and maybe make the whole of Excel spreadsheets redundant. Like why would we measure 1% improvement in this when we could create a whole new business which would make all that 1% so trivial and actually, we have the common sense and the resources and the skills and the power within people to do that, you know. So so I think it, it, there's so much fun and joy and optimism and perspective and hopefulness that can come out of, and that's leadership too, right? That's a, a generative leader creates this environment in which people feel safe. They come up with new ideas. They have perspectives. They try things. When they fail, it's not terminal. They learn because they're not victims of circumstance. They're actually 
creating. I love what you just said, Aaron. And, you know, you have this very elegant way of, of, of taking people on that journey. Because we talk about awareness, we talk about consciousness, you know, all these sort of different terms. But how do you see it? So I think language can bewitch our intelligence, you know, is a... Is, Wittgenstein, the philosopher, described it as. So you have the word awareness or the word consciousness, but the experience of it, <clears throat> the real experience of it, is is awareness present right now. Even for anybody listening to the podcast, is awareness there. And at any point in our experience, has it not been there? You know, people might say, when I'm asleep, it's not there, but then maybe I'm not there. So so there's kind of a, it, it, when we talk about awareness, we're not trying to be abstract or theoretical. We're trying to look at, in our experience right now, if I'm having thinking right now, and I'm having a movie in my head right now, and I'm aware of that, then awareness is there. So it's a, it's a, it's a universal capacity. It's already there. It's in our experience. Beyond that, it's sort of outside our pay grade to talk about. But I, I can see that if you take search inside yourself, which is run at Google, it's run at SAP, it's mindfulness practice. People want to cultivate awareness. And, 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 and it's not that they're cultivating awareness, is that they're realizing they're aware, <laughs> right? And then if you look at like Simon Mundy's podcast in, uh, in in the UK, he interviews sports stars. And a lot of them would say, you know, like uh, when I'm in a flow state, there's no me. There's no thinking about me. I'm just there. I'm present. I'm doing it. So there's this kind of exploration in elite performance in sports there's this exploration in the corporate world of awareness. And often it's linked to flow states or it's linked to greater perspective or whatever it is. But the way I like to talk about it anyway is that it's there. You know, even if we're arguing about it, <laughs> you're aware of the argument, I'm aware of the argument. It's there. It's it's just a fact that, that awareness is there. Now, the word is just a pointer towards the experience. So let's not talk about the words or let's not get hung up on them. Let's see, in my experience, what does that mean? And I, I would see, for me, when I've had these insights or these realizations, is that I realized I was unaware. I was taking thinking really seriously, and then I suddenly see, oh, it's not like I thought. And that to me is not becoming more aware. It's just realizing that <laughs> that I, I was stuck in thinking, you know, so that that's how I see it. It's, it's quite simple and practical that it's it's just there. It's a function we all have. And I realize when I'm not aware, sometimes a lot of the time I don't. And, and, and Julieta, how about for you? And what, what's what's the value of having that that realization? It's it's massive. Um, and my experience, coming also with the experience that I just shared with you, is 
is just listening to that feeling, right? And to to taking that feeling. Is it a is it a good feeling? Is it a less good feeling? Somehow I you know, I didn't feel good. So that kind of gave me this capacity of noticing that something is not going right. Something is being created inside myself that is not helpful right now in that moment. So having this kind of a pointer of the feeling, and it might even be sometimes a good feeling, right? If I'm feeling too good, I might go like, hmm, what am I not seeing here? <laughs> but but um, all kidding aside, I think it's the feeling that points us to this awareness and to this capacity of noticing that. And, and it's just been tremendously helpful um, of noticing that Everybody has this hurricane going on inside, but knowing that the hurricane also entails that I that has that peaceful heart, that quiet mind that serves you in those moments, that gives you maybe even more eyes to look at something in a different way. So that, that's how it feels to me. That's how it, it was created inside of me, and I'm seeing more and more every time. So this awareness is just becoming more... We're present. Let's say it. So it, it takes less time to gain access to this eye of the hurricane that gives me these multiple eyes of seeing whatever else is there to be seen. And it's, it, it, you know, again, it's, it's that we didn't choose this. We didn't design this. This is just the way it works that, you know, we have, you know, we've talked about today. We've talked about, you know, that, we don't choose our thinking. It just shows up. And it's like a, a movie that's that's running. And it's happening all the time. But then we also have this other capacity to be aware of that. To be aware of the fact that that's going on. And, you know, we didn't choose the design, right? <laughs> so it's not like we can be engineers and go into our minds and go, oh, we don't really like this design. We don't like the flood of thinking that we get. We don't like awareness. We don't, you know, we don't like these movies that we're creating. So the only thing that we can do is learn how it works so that, you know, the, there's a shorter amount of time between the mind realizing what it's creating. And I think that's what, what you said is so important is that because one of the difficulties with the outside in paradigm or not understanding how it works is that I see a lot of people div going for willpower, right? Is that, uh, you know, in the military, they say, like, detach and observe, you know, if I get my willpower right, I can step out of the hurricane. You know, or if I do my meditation practice and then I have like five deep breaths, then, and it's an attempt to control the hurricane as opposed to see the nature of the system. And and, and, and there's a fear factor, at least I see this for myself, is that uh, if I understand the nature of the system, I don't have to do that. The system itself will bring the opportunity to get out of being stuck in that thinking that I'll see it. If I don't understand the nature of the system, I'll create all sorts of strategies and tactics to try and force myself out of that. You know, I'll try and, 
you know, okay, I got, I got to reprioritize, you know, like that's a, that, that looks like a really good strategy instead of I've all this work to do. Okay. I'm going to detach and reprioritize. I'm going to take my emotions out of it. I'm going to dissociate. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to do, you know, and it creates even more stuff. And, and this is a conversation that we see with people a lot of the time who, who kind of go, isn't this just mindfulness, you know, or isn't this, you know, and it's because the assumption that I have to escape that and I have to do something to escape that, I see this as another way of ego, right? So it's not to not be okay with not being okay, you know? It's like if, if you're fighting against the feeling of overwhelm and you think you have to do something with that, it creates even more. But if you understand the design is for success is there. If I wait, it's something's going to happen. I don't know what it might be. It could be that I realize this, or it could be that my thinking changes, but I can't control the flow of thinking. And and, and it seems like a a minor point, but the experience that's created is enormous. The, the difference in experience, the freedom that comes from seeing with understanding the way you, you, you describe it there is very different from trying to force yourself to see it in order to escape a feeling that you don't want. And and, and, and it's like a understanding the nature of the system, the nature of the principles, as opposed to, you know, uh, taking the content of things really seriously or taking the ideas you have about yourself having to do stuff really. Well, it's, it's like Giulietta was saying earlier, you know, about one strategy is to try and talk yourself out of it you know like get a grit come on you you know you can deal with this and you know and it's just one thought fighting with another and not seeing that they're both thoughts that have been created by the system (laughs) but boy does that look like a good idea well yeah it does and you know and and we've been so conditioned to to do that i think it's even beyond learning how the system works is basically a, an unlearning of the programming that we've been through, all of us, and then just the mere acceptance of our nature and, and just the trust in it that it does show up even in the wildest times, that it's always there, that it's just part of you and it's nothing that you have to because that, that was exactly what I tried in the beginning when Derek exposed me to, and when I did my first uh, retreat with Insight Principles with uh, Julia, it was just, oh, yeah, intellectually, oh, sense, yes. And I'm, yep, yep, okay. Yeah, I, you know, we might debate about that little point here, but okay, yeah, I'll, I'll try to ponder upon it and sit with it. And it just evolves, and it just, you become more and more um, trustful of your of your own and I don't want to call it judgment because the judgment is what asks everything, right? So of your own, of your own uh, system, how it operates and how you, how it's so beautifully designed just to make you happy and successful. That's all it does. But we fight it. We fight it for sure because it just doesn't go along with the programming. And I think it's really important to point out, Julieta, that you know, programming is is. You know, we, we all have it, but if you if you think about every single breakthrough that we've had as human beings, 
we've questioned that. We've got curious about that. And then we've come up with a new idea that makes a lot more sense. And so, you know, it's not like we have to kind of pick through all of our thoughts. We just have to see that that's what they are. And then when we have awareness of that, you know, the the ones that just don't make sense, they just start to fall away. They just start to look less appealing, less real, less, have less power. We, we identify with them less. You know, so, so the, part of the, the reason that we have the problem with thinking is that like, uh, take me seriously. Like, I, I know what I'm talking about here. You don't know. And we don't realize that we're doing that. You know, we don't realize that it's just a thought. It's like, if you don't take my ideas seriously, then you're not taking me seriously. And you better be taking me seriously. And, 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 and it's, we don't realize that we're doing it. And it can be so funny, you know, and so tragic at the same time, because the part of the conditioning is this thirst for control. You know, don't don't use crayons on the wall. You know, don't uh, don't sing in class. It's inappropriate. You know, what are you doing laughing at a meeting? Like, you know, uh, so so there's so much stuff that gets that we start to take seriously. It's like you know, I couldn't possibly laugh on a podcast because like people should take me seriously you know, <laughs> and they should take my ideas seriously. And, and because we take it, the thinking so seriously, it, it kills, it can kill the mood. There's, there's a lot less playfulness, a lot less joyfulness. And you look at kids, you know, and they create infinitely without kind of thought. And even go back to human beings for thousands and thousands of years, you know. Well, Listen, I know we could talk for hours and um, and we probably have done in the past, um, but it's it's time for us to wrap up now. Thank you so much, both of you, and um, have a wonderful rest of the day. And I look forward to our next conversation because I'd love to have you both back and um, share what you've been learning. Uh, thanks for, for the invitation. Such a fabulous conversation with Julieta and Dara. As always, our conversations are really, really profound and um, I love going deep with them. If there's something that's resonated from the conversation for you today, share this conversation with someone that needs to hear it. You can do that by going to generativeleaders.co. There were lots of things that really stood out for me from the conversation that we had today. And I just want to share a few of those with you. One that really resonated with me was the point that Dara made about where is the power? Is it in the circumstances or is it in me and everyone else around me? There are so many times throughout my life and maybe you resonate with this too, where I've really felt like the circumstances are what's creating my experience. That I can't feel better until something changes. I remember when uh, we were moving house and um, I was feeling all of this stress. And 
I just kept thinking, as soon as we've moved house, we'll feel better. I'll feel better. As soon as I've moved house, I'll feel better. And we moved house. And guess what? I didn't feel better. Because my thinking hadn't changed. And then at some point it did. And I started to feel better. And I started to see that the power wasn't in the circumstances. It was in the thinking that I was having. And that power is in me and it's in everybody else. It's, it's universal to, to all of us. And when you realize that, you have the freedom, the freedom to dance your own dance, as Julieta put so gracefully. I also love Dara's description of ego. Um, there's a lot of societal narrative about ego and people having big egos and, you know, they've got an ego bigger than the size of the planet. Well, the fact is, is that we all have an ego because what ego is, is it's insecure thinking taken seriously. You know, there's been so many times um, creating this podcast where I've started to get this thought, oh, will this be good enough? Will people listen to this? And seeing that that was me having insecure thinking could have had me stop doing this podcast. But, you know, something inside of me knew that was thinking that got created and I don't have to take that seriously yeah it shows up I can't control it but I don't have to take it seriously and 99% of the problems that we all have were created in our minds through that insecure thinking and when we get freedom from that then you know we can start to see it's it's just thinking it's not I'm not the thinking that I have I'm much more than that. I have the capacity to be much more than that. And so that leads us to the final point that really resonated with me is, what thinking am I taking seriously today that's making me stupid? I'll leave you with that as the final thought to reflect on. And I look forward to our next conversation of Generative Leaders. See you then.